We're very thankful today to be joined by Illinois State Representative Patrick Windhorst. Mr. Windhorst, thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you, Will. Appreciate the opportunity. So where do we find you today now that the uh, spring session has concluded? Well, actually, I'm uh, in my hometown of Metropolis, uh, trying to get caught up on uh, some things that have been pushed off since uh, session has been going on. What I found is that uh, since about uh, mid-April, I've been pushing everything off to the end of session, and now I'm I'm back home and having to catch up on things. So a lot of work within the district, uh, returning uh, phone calls, meeting with constituents, uh, just trying to get things uh, in order uh, in district. Did you find uh, this session that your position in minority leadership changed the way that you've had to operate uh, as a state representative? It has uh, really uh, changed a lot of the responsibilities I have. Uh, before I, you know, before I was in leadership, you're really more focused on particular areas uh, of the law, and, and that's true still, but it's amplified and. Uh, in leadership, you're included in more discussions about the variety of legislation uh, that we will consider. So you, you get to hear a lot more about what's going on and what potentially will go on, and then also have a, a larger voice at the table when uh, decisions are being made. And then specifically being the floor leader uh, meant that I was having to do a lot of uh, prep work for each session day, going through the bills, uh, trying to get a handle on how we would handle debate, uh, if I would be leading the debate or if someone else would, would handle the question of a bill sponsor. Uh, there was a lot of uh, time devoted to that as well. So I just got the, the feeling when I was in Springfield, it was just constantly going. And then, of course, you come back home and you pick up where you left off here. I assume that your experience in the courtroom in the past you know, prepared you well and made you an easy candidate to be the floor leader? You know, that is uh, what I've noticed is that in the past, although our, my immediate predecessor was not an attorney, it's common for attorneys to be selected uh, as a floor leader. Just the familiarity with the law first is important, uh, but then just being able to question people uh, is uh, another area that's common to people who've been in the courtroom. So that has definitely helped. Uh I just, you know, I don't want to put too fine a point on it, I guess, but in the courtroom, ultimately, you, you come to a verdict that's based on uh, the evidence presented, uh, and that isn't always how the vote turns out in Springfield. Illinois State Representative Patrick Windhorst is with us, and because of your background, I am always interested in your thoughts on various legislation, particularly those to do with the law obviously all legislation has to do with the law but in particular uh, there was legislation passed that allows for certain lawsuits to only be filed in sangamon county and cook county Uh, can you kind of help unpack that legislation yes uh, before this bill became law if a person wanted to challenge the constitutionality of a law or an executive order uh that person could go to their local courthouse, the county they live, file the lawsuit, have it heard, and then follow the appeal process from there. Now, with this law, which has been or bill, which has been signed into law by uh, Governor Pritzker, in order to challenge the constitutionality of a law or executive order, a person will have to go to Springfield or Sagamon County or Chicago and Cook County uh, to challenge uh, that legislation or executive order. 
to me, this is a big slap in the face to the other hundred counties uh, in the state. We have a, a judicial system where I believe each local court should be equal and have equal standing in considering uh, these issues. And that's the way you know it has been for at least since the 1970 Constitution. And it's a fundamental issue of due process. A person should be able to go to their local court and get justice without having to travel hundreds of miles to Springfield or Chicago to get their justice. Now, Senate President Don Harmon says these cases are all going to end up in Sangamon or Cook County anyway, so why does it matter so much to you uh, Republicans? (laughs) Well, I I would take a little issue with that because the cases start in – your home county, or at least they did. And if you don't prevail, then you don't have to take on the expense of going to uh, Sangamon uh, or Cook uh, if you don't, if you decide not to appeal, if you just want to challenge it and then decide not to appeal. But the other thing is there's an issue of just having the local people where you live consider the law and make the decision as they do in, in basically every other case where a person is the plaintiff um, or challenging um initiating a lawsuit in this case challenging a law Uh, you know all the counties should be treated equally unfortunately this is not the case now and we're we've seen uh and i i know you are aware of various counties particularly in the southern part of the state vote to say we don't feel a, a part of the state of illinois we don't feel like we're considered part of the state of illinois and it's legislation like this which uh which is put forward makes you wonder if the people putting that forward don't agree. We don't consider you part of the state of Illinois. And uh, that's really a shame, and that's not how we should operate as a state. Each county should be should be treated equally. Uh, and these primary or so such fundamental issues uh, on whether a law is constitutional or not. Illinois State Representative Patrick Windhorst with us today. We appreciate his time greatly. Another piece of legislation that was uh, debated very passionately was Senate Bill 1909, Uh, This was a bill that allows the Illinois Attorney General to uh, put pro-life crisis pregnancy centers under additional scrutiny and potentially uh, fine them for giving out information uh, deemed to be uh, not accurate, I guess is one way uh, to put it. That is now the law in Illinois and is being uh, challenged by Peter Breen's organization. Um, I know that this issue was debated pretty passionately. Uh, what are your thoughts in terms of where that legislation stands today and, and the court challenges that are um, playing out? Well, I believe there will be uh, a strong court challenge uh, to the legislation. One of the effects of the law that we argued uh, on the floor would be that it will have a chilling effect on the speech of individuals working at these crisis pregnancy centers. Um, you know, the sponsor claims that's not the, the goal, but that will. I believe ultimately be the effect. Uh, there were certain statements of fact that were presented uh, to both the sponsor and in committee to the representative of the attorney general's office to say, is this considered a misrepresentation? And with each one, and I believe there's over 20 or 30 statements, the the representative from the attorney general's office says, we'll take that on a case by case basis. So if your speech is going to be judged on, as they said, a case by case basis, that's going to present difficulty for those crisis pregnancy centers and the information they present for fear that they are going to be uh, hauled into court, uh, claim that they're engaging in fraudulent activity and potentially have to pay damages uh, if the Attorney General's office is successful in that suit. 
you know, kind of one of the interesting thing, though, bringing up that piece of legislation, and there was another one dealing with uh, gun manufacturers. The attorney general requested that authority to uh, be able to sue crisis pregnancy centers and gun manufacturers for with this term consumer fraud. But when it came to having to defend lawsuits that are uh, based on the constitutionality of certain laws and executive orders, he, his office claimed that they were spread too thin. They didn't have enough resources to go to the, all the various counties. To me, that those two arguments don't work because on one hand, he's requesting additional authority and additional responsibility. On the other hand, he's claiming he's, he's spread too thin. And I think it shows that at least with the law um, relating to challenges to the constitutionality of the legislation, they're doing that because they can, not because there's any problem with the attorney general's office, just because they can uh, limit jurisdiction or venue. That's why they're pushing that forward. Well, I've asked you about two pieces of legislation that interested me. Uh, at the close of the General Assembly, was there a single piece of legislation that for you defined this session? Well, I, uh, I hate to say it would define it, but I think the lack of ethics legislation, uh, and that, that's, a, I know, a negative, not putting one forward, but the lack of that ethics legislation defined uh a lot of where we are as a state. We saw right toward the end of session uh, the verdict in the ComEd 4 trial, uh, again, highlighting the uh, corruption and ethical problems we see with state government. And, you know, Illinois is known for, for basically two things, corruption and uh, high taxes. And those are two things we need to tackle uh, and change in our state. And it's discouraging that even with those high-profile cases, former Speaker of the House going, to, going on trial next year, uh, that we can't put forward meaningful reform and uh, ethical changes to the state to show the public that we are going to put forward a government that's worthy of their trust. I will say one thing about Governor J.B. Pritzker, and it's that it seems to me that if there were you know, ethics legislation put on the table, really of any kind, that he would sign it. Um, so I don't believe that there's any great uh, opposition from him. I mean, he's a wealthy person who's sort of new to public office. He didn't come up through the Democrat, you know, machine rank in the way that a lot of Illinois governors of a Democrat lineage have in the past. So what is the resistance? I mean, is it truly baked into the culture is it more of a of, of a of a lobbyist uh thing that that tries to kill these things off or or is there no good answer well i think there's a combination of a lot of factors uh, one is this is the way business has been done and there's resistance to change to the way business has been done uh there are some uh members who don't want to have a like a strict revolving door uh from leaving as a legislator and going as to a lobbyist because they potentially look at that as something in their future that they want to take advantage of. Uh, I think when it comes to the various issues, there are many reasons, not necessarily one singular reason, um, why the change doesn't occur. But from my perspective, I think their perspective of most people in our region, and I think throughout the state, we need to be setting an example as a legislature and put forward meaningful reforms that will set up guardrails that will 
hopefully keep legislators and elected officials away from even approaching illegal activity, let alone breaking uh, criminal laws like has been accused in, in various cases we've seen over the years. There has been a resistance to that. Um, you know, I don't want to be too cynical about why that exists, but it's hard not to get at least highly skeptical when you see the, the sessions come and go without meaningful reform. Remind me what year you took office. I was elected in 18 and sworn in in, in 19. Did you ever have any conversations with Senator Terry Link? <laughs> I don't believe so. I, I, I don't believe I did. Well, I was just reading today how uh, he finally, in the trial of Mr. Weiss, that's uh, ongoing in Chicago, he admitted on the stand that he had been wearing a wire for the FBI for three years. And this is the kind of thing that uh, you would think after I mean, going back decades, uh, and of course the Bogoyevich years and everything else, uh, the Derek Smith, the former state representative who was recorded and then uh, expelled by the General Assembly, reelected and then thrown out again, yeah. uh, you would think that these sorts of things would be curbed after all of the enforcement action that has happened in Illinois over the last 20 years. You would think. Uh, and you would also think that just uh, as, a, as a body, as a General Assembly, that the members would want to come forward and say, look, we are making it clear to the public that this behavior will not be tolerated and that we are going to put in guardrails so that when people are going to Springfield to serve the public interest, not to serve themselves or their financial interests or their power interests, but to serve the people. And, you know, to me, that is one of our primary responsibilities is to create a government that's worthy of the trust of the people of Illinois. Last thing before we let you go, I know that uh, some time ago that you helped to form the uh, One Shawnee Group. Uh, is there anything on the horizon with that? Yes, we're uh, looking at some uh, some announcements here, hopefully later this summer and uh, with an event uh, in the fall. Uh, we're hopeful that uh, you know this will be something that for the southernmost region in uh, of southern Illinois uh, that we'll be able to put forward. Uh, it's going to likely be a summit that will benefit uh, community leaders uh, and allow them to uh, become engaged uh, even more than they already are and provide resources for them uh, to help a lot of the communities in our smaller towns. Anything else you want to mention before we let you go? Well, no other than I appreciate the opportunity to, to be with you, and uh, it's always a, a pleasure.